Man, so pumped that you guys are here today. Um, hope you've had a great summer. I know I have. And one of the things that always happens at the end of the summer is um, you go back to work or school, you get back in the rhythm of things. People tend to ask you, hey, what did you do this summer? What did you do this summer? And so we thought it'd be a lot of fun if we got some of the guys on staff up here to dialogue, not only about what we did this summer, but about what God did in us this summer. We thought it'd be cool to kind of uh, uh, show you behind the scenes, open the curtain, have a candid conversation and let you guys in on who we are, on our wrestles, on our doubts, on the way that we seek Jesus in this crazy thing called life. And so today's gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna be much different than normal as you get a behind the scenes look at us. Um, now, one of the things that I always tell people when I'm um, counseling them or coaching them, talking them through things is if you don't love what you do and you don't love who you do it with, do something else. If you don't love what you do and you don't love who you do it with, do something else. You spend way too much of your time away from your family and your kids at your job for it to be something that you don't love to do and to be it with people who you don't love to do it with. And one of the great privileges of my life, I count it as one of the great honors, is to be able to work on this team with the, with the people that I get to work with. They're some of the most amazing, extraordinary individuals on planet Earth. And I just count it a joy to be able to walk alongside of these guys. And I'm so pumped for you to see how epic some of these guys are, and um, just the way that you can learn from them in just really powerful ways. Um, like I could tell you about Drew Adams. Drew is uh, the face of our generation. You may have seen his face plastered all over our website. Hi, I'm Drew. How can I help? And um, that's Drew. He's one of the most kind, compassionate, caring people that you'd ever meet. He's a walking UGA almanac, and he's a better golfer than Bubba Watson. Um, and so you're gonna be excited to hear from Drew today. I could talk to you about Joe Baker. Joe Baker is a golden retriever, okay? He is the most happy, optimistic human on the planet Earth. He sees potential in people that I could never see. I wish I looked half as good as he does. Um, he is so stylish. Like sometimes Joe wears stuff and I'm like, are you allowed to wear that? And then I realize if Joe wears it, you're supposed to wear it, okay? Um, and uh, he's a better wake surfer than me, which is embarrassing because I taught him how to wake surf. So I'm, in, I'm excited for y'all to hear from Joe today. Um, I'm excited for you guys to hear from Patrick Casey. Uh, Patrick's just good at everything. And that's enough about Patrick. And, um, and so then also our lead pastor, Stephen Gibbs, um, I could not be more honored to have him be my pastor, not to just be my boss, but for him to be the person who pastors me and leads me. Um, he, when he takes his shirt off, he looks like James Bond. Um, and I'm pretty sure that he could kill me with a Bible. So I want for you guys to give a big round of applause to the second disciples, Andrew, Joseph, Patrick, and Stephen. Y'all give them a big round of applause. Second Disciples. What an intro. I hope you guys can live up to that hype. Something to follow. I'm pumped for this. Are you guys excited for this? No. We. I'm very afraid. What are you most afraid of? You know, we spend a lot of time together. We're in meetings together, phone calls, whatever, planning, all that stuff. And so I have... I hear a lot of words from you, and I'm a little concerned about the language you may use while we're up here. Oh, my gosh. So... I only cussed twice last service, so I feel uh, like we're going to be all right. Cut it to once. We'll be good. I'm pumped, man. This is going to be a lot of fun. Um, so let's just jump into it. Like, what is, what's the most fun thing that you did this summer? Before we get down and dirty, in the deep end, make everyone cry, what did you do this summer that was a lot of fun? I'm going to go first. So 
this summer, because I did so many fun things this summer. This summer, I got to go to the lake a bunch and wake surf, like Joey said, and show them up a little bit. Um, I got to uh, go to the beach, to back to Wilmington, North Carolina, visit family. I got to go to the escape with 160 students. Whoop, whoop. Let's go. Come on. It was so much fun. But above all of that, I got to celebrate this summer my five-year wedding anniversary yeah. with Leslie, and Woo. we had a blast. You can clap for five years of yeah, man. marriage. So Leslie and I, usually we're not huge like celebrators of things, like Valentine's Day, like we don't do chocolate and we don't do flowers because she doesn't like chocolate or flowers, so praise the Lord. I'll take and your then... chocolate, Brenda will take your flowers. <laughs> and, um, I and usually like you're just we... not romantic. Maybe, but... <laughs> And so usually we don't do a bunch of trips and stuff, but this year we're like, it's five years, we're going to do something. And so we went to Nashville. Uh, we stayed at this really uh, cute Airbnb oh, wow. and uh, down in 12 Did South. Did he just air quote cute? cute? Yeah. Like, it was cute. All right. It was cute. You know what that's a euphemism for? Girly. That's what that's. <laughs> it, was, it was very hip. Um, there was animals on the wall. Anyways. And... Uh, and so we stay in this really cool spot called 12 South. And if you've never been there, it's like the most hipstery area that you can imagine in a city. Hipstery. Like I walked into stores and I felt out of place. I was like, Leslie, we don't belong here. Like I, I can't shop in this store, let alone afford to shop in this store. But like this coffee shop, everyone's staring at us like, who are these random like people that look like they're from the 90s? But anyways. Welcome to my world, Joe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't you guys love the like hipster evolution as we get closer to Steven? <laughs> And it gets progressively more vanilla, don't y'all? <laughs> just saying my ankles are showing, that's all. That's funny. That's sanctification. Anyways. <laughs> and uh, so we got to celebrate five years. We went and we, we went and I had the biggest steak I've ever had in my life. It was like 20 ounces, uh, ribeye, age 56 days. It was amazing. Uh, Leslie and I shared it because it was too big for me to eat myself. And um, we got to go scootering. Has anyone ever done the, the bird or lime scooters in a city? You know, the scooters that are all over the sidewalk and make the city look like, like trash? City litter. Yeah, yeah city litter. Yeah, we were the people like riding those and doing everything you're not supposed to do on the scooter. Like, wear a helmet. Nope. Uh, ride on the street. Yeah, we're going to ride wherever we want. And uh, this it is, was. This is who's pastoring your teenagers. <laughs> So it was amazing. It was Leslie's favorite part. I'm like, hey, what was your favorite part this weekend? Scootering. I was like, okay, cool. I thought it was having fun with me, but okay. <laughs> and, and so we had a ton of fun. It was amazing. It felt like honeymoon part two. Uh, Hello. We, we practiced naked pillow fights and all of the awesome things. <laughs> and guys, we had a blast. It was, it was amazing. That's awesome. Speaking of naked pillow fights, um, my wife and I Weird just found... transition. Well, not really when you find out that you're having your first kid this summer. Hello! Yeah! So, so that's pretty great. That's awesome. Man. My beautiful wife somewhere around here. Maybe she's serving coffee. I don't know. She's a servant. Yeah, what you guys don't realize, like, Patrick is a freak musician, and his wife is, like, a freak artist. So it's going to be, like, Beethoven and Monet migrated and created a superhuman who's going to take over the world. Yeah, we're Amazing. getting a guitar built that has a paintbrush at the headstock. So just so they can do it all at once, you know? <laughs> I love it. Just kidding. Um, but yeah, so we, we got obviously a chance to celebrate uh, the fact that we get to have a little baby boy come in January, which is Whoop, awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and then we got to go on a trip uh, to an island just north of uh, Charleston in South Carolina called Sullivan's Island with uh, Bryn's family and got to celebrate, obviously, baby and rest and all the fun things. So it was great. Love that. Yeah, going along with the baby theme, we had our first child at the beginning of the summer Woo. as well. Yeah. 
And um, so all the fun came with him. There's something him. in the water around here, That's baby right. making factory. All the fun came with him this summer. We got to see him smile for the first time and got to see him roll over <laughs> and all the other things. It's been a ton of fun. Aww. Aww. That's right. Love that. What about you, Gibbs? Well, we did not have our chi a child this summer, <laughs> so praise the Lord. Anybody want to clap for that? Come on. We're still that praying for weird. it, though. I just want you to know that I pray all the time Debbie would get pregnant again. <laughs> it would be so funny. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> she is so angry on the front row. Uh, it's funny, funny. Uh, but we did celebrate 30 years of being married. Woo! Let's go. Yeah. Come on. And so we did what any normal person would do. We went to a very large city full of angry people in a hurry called New York. And we spent two <laughs> weeks there. And so, but it was great. We had a great time. I got to go to, one of my heroes is Teddy Roosevelt. So his birthplace is there. So we went there. And then I'm such an awesome husband. I took my wife to see Kelly and Ryan live. Hello. So, yeah, all the ladies know what I'm talking about out there. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, it was incredible. So you have a lot of fun in the summer, but I don't know about you guys. I feel like it's just my mind kind of goes crazy in the summer, and I tend to do a lot of dumb stuff. Did you guys do anything dumb this summer? Like, I can tell you something dumb I did. This was so dumb, okay? So it was like one of those nights um, where we were just in a rush, and um, like Raleigh wasn't going down easy. We got home late. We were just like fighting with her tooth and nail, like giving her NyQuil to make her go to bed, just like whole nine. I'm joking, okay? Um, so we were like in a rush, and I have a big green egg, and we planned to cook out that night. And so um, like I've got a fan, like a box fan that's out on the back porch, and it kind of blows in the vent. Well, I had this brilliant idea. I lit the fire, and then I put the box fan on top of the big green egg, and I went inside and forgot about it, okay? And so I come back outside like 15 minutes later, and there are like, like hell is going to heaven. The flames are so high, okay? Like it is skyrocketing. And then I've gotta take this fan and throw it onto my porch, chemical fire everywhere, and yeah, it was really dumb. So that's the dumb thing that I did this summer. What about y'all? Yeah, well, um because I'm a new dad, there's a lot of dumb things that I did this summer. The first thing that <laughs> comes to mind is, how many of you guys are familiar with Baby Shark? You guys know that song? Yeah, all you guys know that song. Well, uh, I think I learned this from Joey at his house. Uh, Raleigh, I think this is her favorite song. And I, in the midst, yeah, exactly, those are the motions. I know them all. Um, but uh, two weeks into uh, having Graham at home, Brittany was away, I think, for the first time, and I was all by myself with Graham. And he was screaming, and I couldn't settle him down. So the idea came to my head, what? about Baby Shark. So I, I played Baby Shark, and it is the only thing that's been able to calm him down. So the dumbest thing that I did was introduce him to Baby Shark because I had to listen to it over and over and over again all the time. I know a lot of you guys can relate to that, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Drew, Drew is the reason for my dumbest thing. Um, so on, on the uh, vacation that we had with, our fam with uh, Bryn's family, um, we went and played golf up in Charleston. And um, if you don't know, Drew's ridiculous and should be on the tour. Um, I attempt and can't beat him much. So um, I was having the round of my life. And we use this app called Grint where you can kind of live track people's scores as if you do it. If you're a golfer, you're welcome. Yeah, it's the best. It's called the, the Grint paid promotion. There you go. Um, and so, so we're, we're playing my, my round is getting uploaded to the interweb sky cloud and Drew is here and he texts me when I'm on the 14th hole and I'm even par at that point in time. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. That's a, that's a pretty good score. And, um, very good. And so Drew texts me and I'm dumb 
and uh, looked at my phone and he said, dude, even par. And I said, shh, don't talk about it. It's like a no hitter, right? You don't want to like talk about it. <laughs> and then he goes, haha, I'm following you and telling everyone That's we right. believe in you, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Drew. So I shot a 74. Hey. <laughs> I am competitive, and I still want to hold my title as the best golfer at Stone Creek. I'm quickly approaching. Talk trash to the top, baby. Talk trash to the top. What in the world? What about you, J.B.? Because I know you did something real dumb. Yeah, so you know how after you take, like, you go on a trip with a bunch of middle and high schoolers, and normally you want to, like, rest afterwards and recover and just rejuvenate yourself? Well, I did that for a day after the escape, and then I found myself one morning, I walked into my backyard, and I looked around and I said, this could be better. And then I had this brilliant idea that I was gonna put in a 280 square foot patio in my backyard with no experience of ever doing this before in my life. And I thought, you know what, it's gonna be a day project, as it said on Pinterest. You ever seen that, where it's like, oh, this was so easy and it cost $100. They were wrong, very wrong. And so I decided that day, I was like, hey, I'm gonna go up to the mulch place. I got five yards of this concrete sand stuff delivered to my driveway and three yards of mulch because I was like, why not do it all at once? And, and needless to say, in the hottest days of the summer, the July 4th weekend, week uh, days, I was outside sweating like crazy and I was shoveling. One morning, I, I spent like two hours straight just shoveling into the wheelbarrow. I didn't even make a dent in the pile and um, bringing it around to my backyard. Guys, my backyard has this hill in it as well. And so I couldn't even make it down the hill with the mulch. And so I was the guy that all my neighbors probably thought was like crazy. I was standing on the opposite side of my house with the pitchfork in the wheelbarrow and I was flinging mulch over my fence as much as I could, just throwing it as far as I could because I was very dumb and I couldn't sit still and I decided, you know what? I'm gonna start a project that I can't finish. And so I just finished it yesterday, almost, barely. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting there. It's didn't, been a project, so Leslie that was very dumb. Help, didn't Leslie help you with that? She, she helped me some, and she also reminded me over and over again, Joe, when are you going to finish this? When is this <laughs> that, when, that may explain when, why scooter riding was the highlight of your anniversary. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Process, not perfection. Process. Yeah. You're in process. I like yeah. it. That's great. You probably didn't do anything dumb this summer because no. you're the infinitely wise senior no. pastor who no. seeks the Lord no. and dumb stuff doesn't happen. <laughs> so we'll move on. Um, so I think that, you know, one of the things that can tend to be funny is there can be these misnomers and misconceptions about the fact that like we just always hear the voice of the Lord and that somehow we just like dwell in the heavenlies and, you know, like when you're laying down the flagstone, God writes the 11th commandment on <laughs> your patio or like you got to your mailbox and there it is, the, the like the, God's will for your life in your mail, right? Um, but that's not how it works. There are like these rhythms and disciplines and practices and postures that we've got to take to even be in a place to hear from God every day and throughout the summer. So I'd love to dialogue about that a little bit. What are some of the rhythms and disciplines that you guys implement that help you actually see God do things in your life. Like one of the things, Stephen, that I know you always say that I love is um, you say no Bible, no breakfast. No Bible, no breakfast. And I'm so inspired by that because I really like breakfast, okay? So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so no Bible, no breakfast, meaning I'm not gonna eat breakfast until I've read my Bible. Now that feels like a pastor thing to do because I know that a lot of times it feels like, you know, the pastor has the red line to, to heaven, right? I've got the red phone. I can just dial direct to God and he'll figure it out. That's not true. It's blue. It's not red. Um, 
But one of the things that is a discipline for me is every morning is I, uh, is I get up and I read my Bible. You know, we say that when you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. And one of yeah. the misnomers, one of the misconceptions is that we think that, okay, it's mon- tomorrow's Monday, August the 5th. Let's see, right here's the page. This is what's going to happen. As if it's like astrology. Yeah. And it's not. It's, it, and so the time in the morning, it's all about preparation for what's coming. Yeah. Right? You know, as they say in sports, you don't rise to the level of your potential. You fall to the level of your preparation. Wow. And your time in the morning, our time in the morning, my time, your time in the morning, it's all about preparation. Yeah. Um, you, uh, it helps just soak God's word into your life because there's going to be some decisions that you're going to need to make throughout the day. And it's, if you've given God the first of your day, the very best of your day, that's going to guide your thoughts the rest of the day. Yeah. And so when you give him yeah. your best, God will take make use of the rest. And so I, I get up, I read my Bible every morning. Now, my alarm goes off early. And you know how many times I want to hit snooze? After all these years, how many times I want to hit snooze or just say, God, not today? Uh, 11. Every day, right? I mean, every day. It's like, man, I don't want to do that today. I don't want to get up. I want to sleep a little bit later. And so, but I get up in the morning and I read my Bible. I got these other crazy disciplines too, but I read my Bible and I pray. And some days it's like, Lord, that was for me. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Some days it's like, God, why did I, what was that about? Or, or don't you have more than that? I'll have a question. I'm like, God, you're not answering my prayer. Like, I need you yeah. to hear me. Why am I even praying? What is the use of all this, Lord? Yeah. And, uh, and then eventually, but there's also those times when I go down in the morning and all I'm doing is thanking God. Like, right. thank you for this answer prayer. Thank you for this person getting a job. Thank you for this answer to healing. And so, but I believe that fundamental to all that is going to be how much we engage mm-hmm. God in the morning. Yeah. And I get not everybody's a morning person, right? And, and, and I think there's a Greek for how you handle that. If you're not a morning person, here's the deal. Suck it up, right? <laughs> get up in the morning. Give God your first if yeah. you want to get God's best. So Yeah, that's really good. And I love that idea of it being like this investment that you make. Like you've yeah. got to invest, and you might not always see the return on that investment immediately, but over time it's going to return in your life. Compound and that principle interest. is so formative. You know, one of my like guilty little secrets is I'm not like a big reader, um, and I know that leaders are readers and readers are leaders, so I guess I'm not. Not a leader or a reader, right? But it's an area that I'm like working on and trying to grow in. Um, but what I am is I'm a big listener. And so like reading the Bible in seasons have, has been challenging for me. But um, this discipline of using the YouVersion Bible app to listen to the Bible every day on the way to work is crazy. So throughout the summer, I've listened to the entire Bible. At an average rate of listening, you can listen to the Bible in 70 hours while I travel, you know, 30 minutes to work one way. So if I spend that very quickly, that adds up and I can listen to the whole Bible in a summer yeah, yeah. and how much that shames and shapes and forms me. And so my rhythm is I listen to the Bible on the way into work. And then on the way home from work, I spend time praying. I call Kayla first, let her know I'm headed home. And then I talk to God about what I've usually talked to myself about. Because yeah. that's what you do in the car, right? That's you're just good. talking to yourself good. about your fears and your doubts and your insecurities and the things that you're stressed about and the bills that you've got to pay and um, the, the, the things that you said that day that you regretted and the ways that you inserted your foot in your mouth. And you're just talking to yourself and you're not getting anywhere and you can't help yourself. But I found that as if, if I get in this rhythm every day of before I get home, posture myself in prayer to talk to God about what I talk to myself about, I feel him just come through in yeah. supernatural ways, man. He begins to show up and prepare me to walk into my home, to deal with my little two-year-old, to interact with my wife, to love them well. Um, so much of that is about rhythm, not, not, not natural. I'm not naturally wired that way. Yeah. So, Yeah, for sure. What about you guys? Yeah, it's really good. I uh, had a good rhythm of reading the Bible in the morning and doing my quiet time. And then we had a baby. And then Brittany stopped working. So now my whole schedule is totally messed up. So last service, we found this out. So I have started to, yeah, sorry. 
<clears throat> I confessed to Steve in last service. <laughs> it's okay. He forgave me. Um, but I have started the same rhythm of listening to the Bible, and I actually use this app called Dwell. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it is amazing. Super cool. It uh, plays music in the background, and there's all these different kinds of voices that you can listen to. So you can listen to an African voice or a British voice or even, I think last service we said, a southern redneck voice. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Stephen needs to be hired Stephen's favorite song is Rednecker Than You. Not true. It's not that. It's long neck, ice cold beer, never broke my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Getting back to it. So, uh, um, but yeah, it's been really good for me too, just to be able to listen to the Bible, plan to memorize scripture. Last semester, Brittany and I tried to memorize the whole book of Philippians. We didn't end up doing it, but it was just an amazing experience over the two chapters that we did memorize in a row. But Man, whatever is comfortable for you guys, listening to the Bible, reading the Bible, memorizing Scripture, there's a ton of things that we can do. It's all about work. That's good. It's really good. All right, so let's kind of, you know, before we get into the big question, Stephen, like what for you do you wish people knew about following Jesus? You know, I think that there are so many misconceptions about what this Christianity and discipleship thing really is supposed to be and look like and how all the, the parts of this puzzle come together. And, you know, you've got these certain thoughts about when you start following God about what this is going to look like. But what do you wish people really knew about following Jesus? Yeah, I think that the thing you have to realize is that um, following Jesus doesn't just all of a sudden open you up to this perfect world, right? It is work, right? It's work. It's fighting for a relationship with him. You know, I think sometimes we think we're going to follow Jesus. It's a little bit like moving to Alpharetta, right? We live in the bubble. We have all the shopping that we want. We have every new restaurant that we want. How many people went to a new restaurant this week? You know, like a lot of people. We have everything that we want. But following Jesus is a lot more like finding parking at the Avalon. Anybody experience that? (laughs) You know, it's, a, it's work, it's a fight, but it is so worth it. You know, they say this, I hate to even use the word work, because they'll say, you know, if, if, if you find something you love then to do, it's not work. Well, that's what it is with Jesus. When you begin to fight for a relationship with him, he is so worth it. There is so much that he has to offer. It's where you're going to find peace. It's where you're going to find purpose. It's where all the questions that you have, the important ones will get answered. The ones you don't need an answer to, you don't need to worry about, because you know that he's got it. He's always going to be there. He's always going to love you. He's always going to be for you. He's always going to come after you. And I think that if we can understand that it takes a fight for that, it is so worth it. So don't think that I'm just following Jesus, and this is just kind of my thing, and I go to church, and then I try to be a good moral person because your morals are not going to give you the life you're looking for. Wow. They are not. They're not going to deliver it. What will deliver it? It's Jesus. That's why you have to fight for it. Yeah, so good. Can we just give it up for the Lord? <laughs> yeah. Good, All right, so what did you guys feel like God did in you this summer? What do you feel like the thing is that he dropped on you that you want to drop on people this Sunday? I'll go. Um, this I know is staff for me, meeting, by the way. We all are silent, and then Joe goes first. <laughs> Always. He's good. Um, so this summer, it was really cool. Um, I feel like God did a lot in me, um, specifically in the area of, like, growing um, in self-development and, like, growing into a better man that I can be, better son of God that I can be, better husband that I can be. And this summer um, has been, like, learning a lot about characteristics of myself and ways that I can be better. Um, Going all the way back to the escape, for example, we talked about this idea with our students of declaring war on the things in our lives that are keeping us from living the life God has for us. And for me, it was thinking about, okay, what are these things in my life that Um, that I wrestle with, that I'm at war with on the inside um, that are keeping me from being the man, the husband, the follower um, that I can be and should be. And one of those is 
my own personal insecurities and my own fears of, um, of not being enough and um, not being smart enough, not being funny enough, my insecurities of like what people think about me and like am I as funny as Joey because I know I'm just a golden retriever but he's like a <laughs> chihuahua and he just talks a lot. And, and, <laughs> And, and, so, and so, like, but I have my own insecurities, too. And what's really cool this summer, I've been able to, like, learn a lot more about myself because my wife and I, at the beginning of the summer, decided that we were going to take the deep plunge, like, dive into the world of the Enneagram. It's a Has cult. Any, it's has, a cult. Yeah, it is a cult. Has anyone else, like, looked into Enneagram? Y'all familiar with the Enneagram? A few people in here. Okay, if you're not, talk to a millennial. They'll tell you all about it. And... And because for a long time, everyone in our lives trying to tell us about the Enneagram, we're like, shut up. We've done the Myers-Briggs. We don't care. Don't tell me what number I am. Don't put me in a box. You can't tell me what I am and I'm not. And then after you actually start learning about it, you're like, whoa, whoa, okay. I know I can grow in a lot of ways. And so, for instance, beginning of the summer, Leslie talked about how much she disliked, um, well, disliked, is annoyed with people who are number sevens on the Enneagram. Do we have any sevens in the room? Any sevens, personality type, seven, Enneagram type? You would know if they were here because they'd be like, Woo! Yeah. So always optimist, um, always (laughs) like the life of the party, um, always see glass half full, actually overflowing, um, like nothing can ever go wrong. They don't want to commit to anything because like something else better could come along. Um, Always need the newest and the best thing and and can't just sit still for just a few moments, like are very impulsive and crazy and all these things. And she's talking to me about how annoyed she was with it. And then I start reading the book and I sit down with Leslie one day and I was like, Leslie, I'm sorry. I'm a seven. <laughs> Don't hate me. <laughs> and, but I come to realize, like, I struggle with impulsiveness, hence, like, building a patio just on a whim, like, out of nowhere. And um, I, I struggle with always needing the next thing and, and never being complacent and okay with where I am. And so this summer, I've been having to try and learn um, the different ways in my life that I can grow um, in those areas and also think about, like, how can I trust God more with where I am and lean into believing that like Jesus is enough and I don't need the next thing? Like I don't need to get on Amazon scrolling through there late at night and buying a new pair of shoes because Jesus is enough. I don't need that new pair of shoes and they really want it. And, but like, I don't need all these other things. Like Jesus is enough and where he has me is enough and learning to trust him has been a lot of this summer for me. And even in areas that I can't control, um, for instance, at the escape, uh, Leslie and I, she calls me after one of the night sessions and and says, hey, Joe, um, I'm pregnant. And we were, I was like, whoa, wow, that's crazy. Like, praise the Lord, we're having another baby. That is so cool. Oh, my gosh, I'm filled with joy. I'm just excited being number seven and all that. And, and then all of a sudden, we start talking about it. And then it's like, oh, my gosh, we're going to have two under two and, like, two babies under two. And is, is like, how, how are we going to do this? And these fears and this anxiousness and these questions start creeping in. And you're like, oh, my gosh, are we prepared for this? Like, one is hard. Like, how are we going to do two? And so it's been a summer of learning to like um, give God, trust God and with the things that we can't control. And so I've had to like remind myself of this. I'm going to trust God with the things that I can't control because he is the one that can and he is the one that is in control. And so that's been a lot of this summer. I love that. I think that um, all of us would love to be able to do that. I think that we've all found ourselves in a moment where it's like this is out of my control. Like this news that I've got, this situation that's happened out of my control, 
and I want to trust God. I want to believe that he's got good for me. But what are some of the principles that you'd recommend that put you in a place to be able to do that before it happens? Because it's been my experience that if I don't prepare myself for that moment of things being out of control, then I just drift towards suspicion. I drift towards doubt. I drift towards not trust, but trying to control even the things I can't control. So what principles would you recommend people use to prepare themselves for those situations that they can't control? That's a great question. That's why I'm up here. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so for me, one of the things this summer, um, and it was kind of leading up to this summer, been kind of thinking through and trying to like put principles into practice um, to prepare myself for different situations. And one of those things, um, I follow this preacher, pastor, his name's Craig Groeschel. He leads the largest church in the country. He's kind of a big deal. And I feel like he mentors me from afar. Like I read his books and listen to his stuff. I'm like, I know you. You know me too, right? And... (laughs) But anyways, and one of the things that he, he talks about, um, he makes this statement. He says, your, your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Yeah. Our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. The things that are flooding our mind, the things that we focus on are de- determining where we're going to be going, where, what direction our life is moving in. And yeah. if, we, if we don't fill our minds intentionally with uh, truth, with uh, oftentimes positivity as well, and belief and faith, like then the enemy and the world and ourselves, we're gonna get in the way and our mind's gonna be filled with lies and with um, things that are not true and negativity that's gonna pull us away from living the life God has for us. And so one of the things this pastor talks about is having daily declarations in the morning and these are truths that you speak over your life out loud to yourself and to God believing about who he is and who he, what, who he says that you are. And so for me, every morning, it's reminding myself, okay, God, I know that you are a loving father. Like we talked about in this series of First John, I know that you are a loving God, that you care for me, that you are great, that you are, might, that you are in control, you are strong. I can put my faith in you. Some trust in chariots and in horses, but we trust in the Lord our God, yeah. in the name of the Lord our God, like reminding myself of who God is and then reminding who he says that I am because I struggle with insecurity. I struggle with like not being enough, and um, I've had to remind myself, even really practical, before I come on stage anytime, I'm reminding myself I am a son of God. I am a son of God. I'm not here to impress people. I'm not here to impress people and make them think better about me. I am a son of God, and that is enough. I'm here to point to, the, to how great God is and rather than anything else, and so reminding myself in all situations of who he says that I am, that I'm chosen, I'm called, I'm loved, I'm more than a conqueror. I am, I, I am his son. And that is who I am. And that's what matters more than anything else in my life. And so it's replacing negative thoughts with truth and filling your mind with truth every single day. I love that, bro. I love that. Come on. And I love the way that you gave people this behind the scenes look of honestly, like what we deal with. Um, Like a stage, there's something very romantic about it. Like you may be in there right now going like, I would love to stand up there one day. I'd love to do that and speak and have people hear my thoughts and words. You're probably a seven. And... um, (laughs) The thing about a stage is it can get you loved, but it can get you hated. And um, it can be this source of affirmation, but it can also be this place of utter defeat. And so that preparation of identity and not letting what you do determine who you are, but, let God, but letting what God, who God says you are be the truest thing about you is fundamental for us in communicating, but it's fundamental for you in your job and in your life. Because if you allow your performance to be the thing that dictates how you see yourself and how others see you, and you don't let how God sees you be the thing that fuels your identity, 
I promise you, you're headed towards a lifestyle of defeat. Because you may feel real great right now, but something's gonna come that's gonna trip you up. And if your performance informs your identity, you're destined for destruction. So I love that, bro, so good. Yeah, and I think that actually speaks a lot. So my summer was a little different where I felt like I learned a lot about myself, a lot about my natural tendencies, and some that aren't very pretty. Um, I actually learned that, and I've kind of always known this, but I saw it to a certain extent this summer, where like with more responsibility, my brain always goes task. Like I can knock out a to-do list, you give me some stuff, I'll pioneer it, I'll make something happen, I'll, you know, whatever, I'll get some stuff done, but um, at the expense of what? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, I think like this, this summer I noticed, man, I was, we use this, we use this phrase a lot. I was resting from my work rather than working from my rest. Wow. Um, and that was a drastic thing for me to maybe have a, a, a line in the sand to move from because what I realized is that everything was coming up void. I wasn't happier because I finished more things. Yeah. I wasn't happier that Bryn and I didn't talk as much at home. Wow. You know, it was these, it was these moments where we're <clears throat> realizing that, man, busyness is the, like one of the biggest killers of spiritual momentum. Yeah. And like taking things off of your schedule that don't matter and making time in it does. And so I think that was a really big thing for me this summer, which is like vulnerable and, and like weird to say from here. But, um, but it, was, it was a hard summer for me. How did that manifest itself? Yeah, I mean like being short with people, being short with Bryn, um, being more angry at things that shouldn't make me angry. Um, I would say that's probably my more natural tendency. I'm fairly optimistic. Um, I get real pessimistic yeah. when I'm resting from my work. Yeah, what did, what did uh, yeah, resting from your work, what did that look like? And then what does working from rest look like? Yeah, so I think for me, I had to realize and put some boundaries in place for myself. Mm. Um, and boundaries just like, man, you know, whether that's I'm not bringing my computer upstairs to do work late at night or I'm leaving it at the office or whatever. Like there's always those things. Ministry's a little different because sometimes it just comes with you. Um, But those kind of things, I mean, I I got challenged by you guys this summer about the idea that, you know, if for some reason my morning gets away from me, um, like, which happens to a lot of us, I'm sure, um, like my quiet time doesn't have to suffer. I just do it when I get to work. I just, if I have a nine o'clock meeting, man, I'm gonna push that. And I'm gonna make that happen. Like, I've got a guitar in my office. That guitar is not just for me to check keys of songs or check arrangements of music or chord charts or whatever the thing is, but it's time for me to have intimate moments of worship in the middle of the day if I need it, you know? Um, And so I think, man, I think that's it. Like, the idea that, um, man, I'm not doing anything before I've brought it to the Lord first and I'm allowing the way that he has filled me up and the way that he's speaking to me, the, the things that he's telling me, the promises I'm believing in that he has for me, like that's the thing that fuels me into the future. Yeah, I do. So. I love that. I think that is so powerful for the culture and context that we're living in because we are such a busy culture Absolutely. and busyness is held up as this badge of honor. Look at all that I'm doing and achieving and succeeding in that I think that we forget in the midst of it that we are human beings, not human doings. Yeah. Like we were created to be yeah. like in the presence of God. We were created to, or to have this rest that actually causes us to become all that God wants us to be. Um, and so I think that, man, if you guys like miss everything else today, hear that you need to slow down and you need to rest. And the lies that culture is putting on you to make you believe that your life is gonna somehow be more satisfied if you get just a little bit more How many times is it gonna take for you to go down that path to see that it's a lie, that it's a dead end? 
you got to learn to do the things that feed your soul or your soul's going to starve and die. So I love that, bro. That is so, so, so good. good. One of the things that John Elder says this, he says, you know, busyness is the God of this age. Mm. And so if we've all had this experience, if you ask somebody how they're doing or what are you up to, it's always I'm busy. We always say it. And if you say, I'm not doing anything, you feel guilty. So you think of something you're busy about doing, right? It's like, oh, I'm not doing anything right now. Something must be wrong with me. No, actually, you're probably the most normal person in the world, right? And so I think for busyness, it is our identity. And especially where we live, let's just be honest. We live in North Fulton. We're all achievers. We all want to be known for what we do and what we produce and what we lead and how much income and all the things that we can do. And none of that's necessarily wrong, but when it becomes your identity, it will come crashing down like a house of cards. So don't let that happen. You need to work from rest. How do you get rest, like rest your soul? I think the ways you do that is doing stuff that you love. Like if you like playing golf, just don't let Drew know you're playing because he will (laughs) jinx you. Um, If you like shopping, just don't buy anything. Just go shopping, not buying, right? (laughs) There are certain things that you love to do that will feed your soul. I feel like that's a bad habit for my wife. Like I don't (laughs) want you to encourage that. You need to prioritize the things that that feed your soul and you'll be so much more effective at everything else. Mm. So. That's good, dude. And one other last thing that I'd say there that is, um, and this isn't an introvert or an extrovert thing. This is like a Christian thing, and it's community. Like yeah. you need to rest with people in a way that inspires you and challenges um, like your logic and challenges the way that you see things. Like one of the things that I feel like God has been growing in me this summer is this desire to be relentlessly curious to never settle into the fact that I've got life figured out, I've got finances figured out, I've got parenting figured out, I've got marriage figured out, I've got theology even figured out. Like I want to be relentlessly curious and get other people in my orbit as consistently as possible to see different perspective, to see life a different way, because that causes my soul to rest. Like, I'll be honest, going to India caused my soul to rest. All of a sudden, I'm not so stressed about my life when this person's working for their next meal today, you know? Um, and so I think that becoming relentlessly curious will actually produce rest, so. Cool. Steven, what did God do in you this summer? Uh, I think that, you know, like I said earlier, I'm not having, we're not having any babies this any ever. Um, <laughs> and so one of the verses in Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, it says this, teach me uh, to number my days that I may get a heart of wisdom. And so when it says teach me to number my days, I think what we realize is that life is full of transitions like the rest of your life. I'm always every year I'm like, God, what am I doing? What's my purpose? As if I've, you know, I feel like I should have that question answered by now. But I think the reality wow. is we're all more effective. Well, uh, transitions maybe. are different. Yeah, right. You're in different seasons of life. So for instance, how many of you guys have had a baby in the last year? Just y'all, what is wrong with this picture? Um, What about had a kid started school and you're just shopping for school supplies the first time, right? What about a kid that went to college and now you got at least one in college? Yeah, all, right, all of those are transitions and life looks a lot different. And so so you have to know what it looks like for you to be effective in those seasons that that look a lot different than before. Some of you started new jobs, maybe you bought a house or maybe something happened financially and you're in a different financial position, right? You're in a transition and you have to know how to act with wisdom during those days. That's what it means to number your days. You have different phases in life. And so for me, obviously, I'm not the young man on the stage anymore. Um, I'm the gray beard. 
weird. And so life looks a lot different for me. I've, I've hopefully figured some things out and some things I'm not as stressed about. But then there's also all the same things mm-hmm. that I worry about. And one of the things that I'm always concerned about is as you have all these transition, it can have some pretty significant effects on your marriage. And so, man, when you, when you get married and you start raising kids and having a career and moving down the field, all of a sudden you're shoulder to shoulder just, just in your teammates. You're just getting it done, and you forget that you're supposed to be life mates. You forget you're supposed to be friends. And so as you continue to kind of work through your lives once you do get married, and this is great for you, if you're single thinking about getting married, if you're not marrying someone who's your best friend, don't do it. Yeah. Right? Don't do it. And You're welcome. And so we're, you get shoulder to shoulder, and what can happen is if you're just teammates over a period of time, one of you is going to request a trade. Wow. One of you is going to be like, I'm, I'm out. This is, uh, you know, I, I, I want a better teammate. You have to return to face-to-face or the language of friendship. That's, good. That's what we see in the Bible. And so I think during the transitions, you need to understand, remember what is important to you. What do you want your life to be marked by? What do you want said about you when you are a little bit older? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I would think for, for Debbie and I. We just want to continue to maintain this idea that, that we're best friends. We like spending time with each other. Mm-hmm. I have no idea why she likes spending time with me. Um, it must be my rugged good looks. But... Um, Definitely. But, but we, are, we are good friends, and so I think that's a, a great analogy is just return face-to-face. So for me, it's just wisdom during all these transitions yeah. that you have in life yeah. from, from having kids to empty nesters because they are leaving. They're leaving, and if they don't leave, you'll be sad. <laughs> <laughs> was that like a millennial basement underhand <laughs> wow. comment? Throwing shade to you. How long was that one in there? All right, so, so you got to tell me, 30 years of marriage, like, like half of us aren't even 30, you know? So like, <laughs> you're there. Um, and being that you're there, what would be the wisdom that you would drop on us to like get to that place to be, you know, like Gandalf and still like really having a vibrant marriage? Wow. Wow, what do you do with that? Um, uh, yeah, I do think that at the end of the day, it's got to be about it's got to be about liking the person that you love. Mm-hmm. You you have to know that. You, and and guess who that's on? That's on me. Mm-hmm. Like the reason why, if I don't like something that Debbie does, whose responsibility is that? It's mine. Like I can I can train myself to do that because I've just got this commitment. So I think the key for wow. me is I always have the number fifty in my in my you know in my in my mind that I want to be married at least fifty years because it feels like when you hit fifty, that's a pretty big milestone, right? And it seems like after 50, nobody really cares about you anymore. <laughs> and so I think 50 is the number for us. But I think for us to maintain, we can be good friends. So now that as my kids are older, you know, one's married, be a year tomorrow. Like, how did I get that old? And then there's, you know, one teaches in Tampa, one's in Dallas, and one's about to go back to school. And so it's just going to be us. Mm-hmm. And if it's just us and we don't, haven't known each other, we haven't dated, we haven't talked, we don't have communication, we don't have some some things that we like to do together, it's gonna, it, it would just be, it's gonna be a disaster. And yeah. guess who won't be resting me? Because I'll be at work all the time. Yeah. But I'm not gonna do that. Yeah. And so, because we're good friends. Yeah. And yeah, so. I hope my marriage is as balling as yours ah, when I'm 95 you. years yes. old. Thank so. you. Me too. Appreciate that. Thank you. I did. <laughs> well, um, I don't know if you guys are ready for this, Drew. You had a pretty um, remarkable summer, a pretty yeah. um, transformative summer. I would even call it a pretty miraculous summer. Yeah. So, Kind of drop on people what Jesus dropped on you this year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you guys know, I became a dad for the first time, so it's easy to say, what did I learn this summer? I learned about what it meant to be a dad. But as I look deeper into it, I think the thing that I can say is that I learned that God is faithful. And uh, 
um, our story really of trying to get pregnant and eventually becoming pregnant and having Graham really started in 2013. Uh, We had just finished grad school, moved back to the area, gotten a job, and it was just a natural kind of next step for us to try to get pregnant and start having a family. And um, month after month went by, and there was times of optimism, and then there was times of sadness, and we saw so many of our friends started to get pregnant with their first child, and then their second child, and even some with their third child, and for whatever reason, it just wasn't happening for us, and it was a pretty lonely time, I would say, mm-hmm. and uh, working in ministry uh, adds a whole nother element to that because here I am as a pastor interacting with so many people who are going through tough circumstances and difficult things, and I am encouraging them and telling them all the verses that you guys know, um, pray and, and you'll, you'll get the answer and all these different things. And here I am going through these doubts in my head of like, hey, am I not praying right? Or if I, am I not living this life right? Or what is going on? So we started questioning like, Why us, God? And it was difficult. Yeah, and I know, like, one thing that you've said before is that you guys kind of played that close to the chest. Like, before getting here, you're walking through this issue with infertility, but you're not really telling anybody. Like, you're not telling anybody that you're even trying to get pregnant. You're just kind of playing it close to the chest. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think over the first couple of years, people were eventually started being like, hey, what's going on? Like, why aren't you guys having kids? And those questions really hurt. So if, if you guys ever ask people, why aren't you pregnant? Don't ask that. Um, but Practical I think, I think um, in times of difficult circumstances, it's easy to hold things into our, and internalize it and not really share with others. And for Brittany and I, we lived that for the first few years of our marriage. Like, I think work and friends and all these different things were an escape for us. And But once we got home and we were with each other, it was just a constant reminder of how God hasn't come through with us yet. Wow. And um, gosh, it's so easy to kind of, uh, kind of keep it away from people. But once we started opening up, once we invited people into praying for us and sharing what was really going on, we really started to see some some things happen. Tell me, how did being in a season of life where your friends are getting pregnant, I know you guys have one couple, like three kids, and you don't have a kid yet, like what does that make you think about God? What does that make you think about yourself? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we want to be happy for everybody who's having that, but at the same time, we just have doubts, like God, we know this is a desire for us personally, and we know, we believe that you desire that for us as well. So it just goes into all these different questions about, man, are you really good? It's hard to sing these songs on Sunday mornings and really believe it in our hearts. Like we say it out loud, but are we really internalizing it and believing it? And, you know, for me as a pastor, it was hard for me to counsel others who are going through different difficult circumstances because I was going through the same thing and I didn't necessarily want to tell them all these different things just because I wanted to speak into their lives personally and not make it all about me. Mm. But it was really difficult. Yeah, I can only imagine. When do you feel like things started to turn or shift for you guys in your story? Yeah, so eventually it was inevitable that we were going to have to start telling some family and friends about it and invite them into praying with us and to seek some medical treatment. And so after about a few years of trying, we started doing that. And I think it was right around the time we, we came to Stone Creek as the Connections pastor. Uh, 
even in the interview process, I remember telling Steven and Joey and a couple others about our uh, struggles getting pregnant. And um, we had this group that meets on Sunday nights every other week where we would just start sharing and opening up about how, man, we really want this to happen for us. So would you guys mind praying with us in this season? And uh, things started happening from there. We really felt like when more people were invited into that, when more people were invited into it, and we knew personally that they were praying for us, like we we were we became expectant in that moment. Mm, that's so so cool. Yeah, I'll never forget that night where because um, you guys had y- y'all had tried one transplant and it was unsuccessful, and then you guys are going for your second transplant, and um, we go, hey, dude, what if we just what if we just go after the heart of God? And what if we just bathe this thing in prayer and expectation? And so we got together and we told stories and we cried and we sang and we prayed and we begged God to come through. Kind of pick up the story from there. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the night before our second transfer was really fun, we invited some <clears throat> staff and spouses to come together and just... Uh, believe that it was going to happen for us after this this time together. So we sang and we prayed and we cried and but ultimately I think that we just knew that it was going to happen. Like we just had this belief and faith even in the midst of 5 years of trying. It didn't make sense for us to have this faith. It didn't make sense for us to be expectant that it was going to happen, but in the in the room like you just felt God's presence yeah. there. So if you've never experienced that like community is really, really powerful, powerful, really, really important for all of you. And we are fortunate to have that here. So it was a ton of fun. Um, we cried. We were so thankful just for, um, man, these pastors and spouses to come alongside of us and to give up a night to pray for us. We, on the way home, we were just so thankful and really expectant and excited to see what would happen. Yeah. So then, you know, some time goes by and you guys are getting ready to receive the news about whether or not it was successful or not. Talk us through that. Yeah, so crazy. Uh, Brittany was teaching at the time, and uh, they tell you via a phone call, which is not very personal. Um, some, the first time when we heard it, it was really sad because they told you on the phone that you're not pregnant. Um, but we are here in the church parking lot, actually. Uh, Brittany w- came here after work, and we knew that if... Uh, we got bad news that we can mourn together with the staff. And if we got good news, we knew that we wanted to celebrate with the people who walked with us the most in that. Um, So we got the phone call in the church parking lot, and it was awesome. They said, you're pregnant, and it was just really emotional. And we got to celebrate with the staff that day uh, right after that phone call. I'll never forget Joey. Um, going up to him and telling him we're pregnant, and he picks me up and spins me around, and uh, it was just really, really fun um, and something that I'll never forget, but we love the community that we've been able to build here, and we love the relationships, the deep relationships where we're able to go deep and to share the things that are really going on in our lives. Surface level is not a thing here, so it was a ton of fun to celebrate with everybody here. Awesome, man. How did that journey impact the way that you see prayer and particularly God's abilities to work in the miraculous. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I do still believe that God performs miracles, and I think he performed a miracle in our lives. And uh, the encouragement I have for all of you is that um, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the difficult thing that you're going through, prayer does work. Mm. And I know it sounds simple, and... um, 
but after five years of dealing with something, like, it's hard to continue to pray about that. But uh, um, regardless, if you've gotten an answer or if you're still going through something difficult, I would say to continue to pray, to continue to seek the face of God, invite others into praying for you. Like, his timing is perfect, and it wasn't necessarily the timing that we wanted, but we knew that his timing was going to um, show face eventually. So we just continually and constantly sought Jesus through prayer. Yeah, man, that's so good. Can we celebrate just yeah. God's faithfulness in the midst of that? <clears throat> yeah, you know, one of the things that I think that I... Um, learned this summer that I felt like God did in me is he just really challenged whether or not I have a theology that works in reality. Um, Because it's so easy to say these kinds of things on a stage at the end of a journey, but in the midst of journeys, it can be much more challenging and difficult. And, um, you know, I think that one of the things that has had to happen for me in my perspective is, and we've talked about it today, but is getting to a place where Jesus is truly enough like even if he doesn't come through in the ways that I want him to come through, even if I don't get a child, even if I don't get healed, even if I don't get that job, he's enough. And um, fighting to believe that and fighting to live in rhythms that posture my eyes and and, and, uh, center my attention on his goodness and him being enough is crucial for me in my life because uh, for my wife and I, you know, we've walked through some stuff where like he hasn't come through And so we've had to live in this reality of like, he's coming through for our friends now, but he's not coming through for us in the way that we want him to. And so what do we do with that? And the thing that we've learned, I think, for this summer is that our victory isn't in whether or not he delivers on my expectations for my life, but my victory is in what he accomplished on Calvary 2,000 years ago. And my victory is that even when I'm still waiting, that he's waiting alongside of me. And that even when it's difficult, that he is enough. And so what we want to do is we want to um, close out today by um, spending time um, together the same way that we spent it that night with Drew and Brittany. And um, we want to sing the same song that we sang that night when we got together believing that God was going to come through for them. And we want to be- sing that song believing that God's going to come through for you, that he is going to be victorious. And he's going to be victorious in either A, by Um, very tangibly coming through in a practical way or B, by being present with you in the midst of that pain in ways that you never dreamed was possible and showing himself to be big enough that he becomes enough. And so, Stephen, would you pray for us as we move into a time of closing out our service and worship? For sure, for sure. Let's, uh, let me set it up a little bit. Let's stand together as we pray. Um, I know that for a lot of people, sometimes you'd be like, you did what, where, and how does that look? And so as we just gathered in a den and we just, Patrick had his guitar and he's going to sing just like he did that night. And we knew there was a heartbreak that was going on and we were very specific. We wanted them to have a baby and so we were very specific to pray for them. And you may have a need today. It could be that you want to have a baby. It could be you want to be married. It could be that you want uh, something to happen in your health. It could be that you're in a financial struggle. And we just want to be able to lean into that with you. So I'm going to pray for us. And then Patrick's going to sing us in a, lead us in a song. And the reason why we sing is because what we read in the Bible is that God inhabits the praises of his people. When the nation of Israel would go to war God's people, the worship leaders went first. So this may be a first step for you today. is just to worship and just say, God, I don't, I'm angry with you. I don't know what you're doing, but I believe that you're going to give me some victory some way. So let's pray together. 
God, we know that there's so many great answers to prayer, and that's what gets celebrated. But God, what's behind the scenes sometimes is tears and questions and doubt and confusion and uh, unbelief, Lord. And so, God, we just come before you today to say, help us in our unbelief. We believe. Help us in our unbelief. God, for those who have a question in their mind, they, there's some situation you haven't stepped into. There's somewhere that they haven't invited others into because they want to feel like they have it all together. They want other, it seems like other people have it together, and they want to be seen as someone who has it together. And they feel like because they don't have what others have, they feel defective or deficient or that something's wrong with them. That God, today would be a day when they believe in the victory that you give, the fact that you died for us, you gave your life for us to have value, and you love us. For those who are, drove up today and tomorrow is the last day of their marriage. They're contemplating just ending it because it's time just to trade. They've become teammates and they've turned back to back. God, today would be a day they put a stake in the ground to worship you and to believe you for a miracle and the miracle of actually liking each other again. God, for those who have just desperately wanted to be married and thought that was going to make them whole today, you would just speak into their lives, heal their heart, Lord, cover their wounds today, bind them up in a way that makes them whole. God, for those who've had kids and it just hasn't turned out like they want, they had this great dream, Lord, and today would be a day of healing and hope and a future that their parenting doesn't define them. You do. And God, for the just countless other ways, questions that we have, needs that we need answers to prayer to, today is a day that we would just lean into you for that. And everybody said, amen.